in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melbarnes, Nathan Lutz, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Nathan Lutz, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Dustin Melbardis. Dustin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm feeling cool, boy. And <laughs> it is you and I again, gruesome twosome at work, uh, at least for the moment. And this movie will give me even more opportunity to talk about music at every little tiny little corner. So, uh... Every little corner. <laughs> All right. And joining us today is Peter Warden of the Retro Reviews podcast. Peter, welcome aboard. Great to have you. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here. This is exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking about this movie. And um, yeah, yeah, it's a big history to go into. But yeah, happy to be here. Peter has been on this podcast before. This was at the Circus <laughs> episode. So it's great to have you back. And Peter, just as a quick general question, what is the last movie that you saw before this? The last movie I saw was actually last night. Well, <laughs> Oh, be before the pandemic, before theaters closed down, or can I talk about something I saw? At home? <laughs> <laughs> a... This is a general term, I suppose. <laughs> can anyone even remember that far back? <laughs> yeah, the long, long ago, the before times. But no, thankfully, I don't have to go back that far. I just last night, actually, on Netflix, I watched uh, a new documentary on Audrey Hepburn called Audrey, which, um, you know, there have been a lot of documentaries on Audrey Hepburn over the years. I wouldn't necessarily say this one uh, gives that much new information. I feel like as a fan of hers, I've, you know, I've seen plenty of it, of what uh, what she went through and what her history is. But the way this was done was just so, just so well crafted, just so like kind of hallucinatory in the way it just kind of delves into sort of put places you right there in her life and uses a lot of... Um, there was this unearthed interview that apparently hadn't been heard in a long time from with her that uh, they sample a lot from throughout the course of the whole documentary. So yeah, if you have any interest in her at all, I highly recommend giving that a look. It was it was really great. That sounds like a really fascinating subject. Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and maybe your show? Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I am a longtime uh, big fan of movie going, movie watching. I mean, who isn't these days? Especially in uh, in the days we live <laughs> in now. It's been it's been a real it's life the perfect time. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm movies from all eras and podcast that I do is called Retro Reviews. Uh, not not a far cry from what this podcast is. Um, but yeah, we. Uh, we talk about movies basically um very close to what we have here um but uh our difference is we only go as far back as the year 1980 and we don't go anywhere uh closer than 10 years ago so basically as of this moment we talk about movies from 1980 to 2011 
or, you know, April of 2011. So it's basically the, the era that me and my partner Ray uh, grew up in. It's what uh, what shaped us as moviegoers. And um, we talk about movies that we've seen a million times, movies that occasionally that we're just seeing for the first time, but uh, really reflecting on how they hold up today, if they're really uh, worth preserving, worth remembering, and uh, just what our feelings about them are in this day and age. And thanks to those time constraints, whenever I'm on this show, I try to pick an older movie than it would qualify for retro reviews. So uh, really did that with a vengeance with the first movie, The Circus from 1928. Uh, we're going a little more <laughs> modern today with uh, West Side Story. But um, yeah, it's... Uh... That makes me happy. I don't think I wanted to go that far back. 50 <laughs> years is enough for me. I, I, I like that. 50 years. Uh, <laughs> that, I think that's probably where I would like to go as far back in terms of retro. I like your definition, though, of that was when you and your partner grew up. That's kind of what uh, your own definition of retro. I like that. Yeah, yeah. 60 years. Yeah, this is 60 years. Wow, here. that's yeah. scary to think. <laughs> yeah. Crosshairs of a different kind of nostalgia. <laughs> this is this is the movie that we're looking at today is West Side Story, the film version from 1961. Classic movie that was the number one in its year in a lot of ways. Not technically the number one in the box office, but its vinyl record, the music from it, spent a crazy number of weeks, the record number of weeks, at the top of the vinyl charts after its release. Uh, the movie itself grossed $63 million, and it was beaten out by 101 Dalmatians, so good company there, and it just beat out The Guns of Navarone. Its IMDb rating is 7.5, and on Rotten Tomatoes, it also has a pretty good score of 84%. It won a whole host of awards, from music to acting to directing to sound to screenplay, all sorts of things, Golden Globes, BAFTAs, it's got all the accolades and of course it's on the afi top 100 movies and passions and musicals list as number two actually on the greatest musicals list and it has three of the top 100 songs for afi as well so this is a movie that comes highly recommended by just the accolades alone peter coming into this had you seen this before and what did you expect Yes, as a matter of fact, I had seen this a handful of times before. Um, the first time being, uh, here's something interesting. I bet in my final year of college, back in the year of 2008, I watched this movie for the first time because I actually performed in this musical on stage as the role of Arab, one of the Jets. Awesome. And, yeah, so uh, when we were close to opening, I, I mean, I... I don't usually, uh, I wouldn't watch a movie before starting to rehearse because I don't want to be influenced. But when we were close to opening, everything was kind of locked in. It was like, okay, I'll watch the movie and see what this is all about. So, uh, yeah, I watched it then. Might have been shown it when I was a child, but uh, didn't really, you know, didn't really have clear memories of it. But, um, uh, but yeah, I had, you know, it's a movie that at the time I was kind of like whatever just kind of kind of was annoyed by um i wasn't really into musicals at the time because kind of felt like they didn't really connect or click with me as uh time has gone on and i've gained a greater appreciation for musicals i've continued to uh, appreciate it more and more uh, yeah it, basically expecting it this time I, I had just watched it about a year ago so it was pretty fresh in my mind but 
I find that I'm appreciating the look of it and the, um, well, you know, we'll get into the details later on. But uh, when I first saw it, I, I liked it. I thought it was fine. But it is, it's something that really has grown in um, in my appreciation as time has gone on. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely a movie that doesn't feel as old as it actually is <laughs> and uh, and seems to speak a lot to today in, a, in, in many ways. Dustin, what about you? Well, I, I like that we learned that Peter was performing this on stage. While you would have been performing, Nathan and I would have been in the pit. We would have been playing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah. Nathan typically <laughs> mm-hmm. takes us in the French mm-hmm. horn corner. I actually played clarinet for 13 to 15 years, something like that. And even though I have played almost every single piece in this movie, in this production, I had never seen it before. The music was not new, but uh, seeing the movie with the the memorable songs i had never done that before i did that thursday so i my first time ever seeing it was just three days ago and uh i had a blast watching it i had a blast listening to it Uh, i grew up listening to scores of musicals even before i had seen them and i was lucky to see many as as a child and then uh, growing up through high school and college that would be a a popular thing i would do if i was going to take someone out on a date i'd say let's go let's go see this uh, stage production of X, Y, or Z. And so uh, somehow West Side Story, though I was familiar with so much of the music, I had never seen it before. Um, and I, I loved being given this opportunity. Nice, nice. <laughs> Glad to hear that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, this is another movie where the music in it is something that stands on its own in an incredible way and has a life of its own, both in productions that have singing with them, as well as the pure orchestrations that get played a lot by orchestras as well as uh, as a French horn player I'm very used to and my introduction to this whole show was actually through a brass quintet arrangement of it which is played a whole lot and is a classic part of the brass repertoire it's very different to hear it with singing but music's just as good every time just ahead we are going to go into a bit of an advertisement break but after that we will be spoiling the movie and beginning our walk through the plot and enjoying all the different beats of this very musical film. See you right back, and Dustin will be giving an outline. Welcome to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And every week we review a movie from the past and reflect on things we missed, things we loved, and things we want to see again. Yeah, because we believe any movie worth watching is worth watching again. So if you like films, friendship, and a lot of callbacks, I mean, just so many callbacks, then subscribe on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever RSS feeds go for like-minded, movie-loving individuals like you. What happens when two modern film fans go back and rewatch all the old classic films from yesteryear to see if they hold up? You get the Classic Film Jerks podcast. Find the Classic Film Jerks podcast on all the major platforms. Exterior, Upper West Side of New York City, mid-50s. The local turf has been owned by Jets, street gang, led by Riff, for as long as they can remember. But the incoming presence of immigrant Puerto Rican Sharks gang led by Bernardo creates more than just scuffles and posturing. The Jets decide to make a move for dominance after a local dance, enlisting the help of retired gang member Tony to inspire the rest. Tony becomes enamored with the Shark leader's sister, Maria, and she reciprocates the desire. 
the two gangs decide on a winner-take-all style rumble, which Tony tries to prevent from happening at Maria's urging, only to witness his best friend stabbed to death, filling him with the need to get immediate vengeance on Maria's brother, Bernardo. After an emotional reconciliation, Maria's former flame, Chino, tracks down Tony and plugs him as he dies in Maria's arms. Exit stage left and right for the remaining gang members and fade to black. I feel like I saw the movie again. Just With no, yeah, no, no rhythm, though, no <laughs> intonation, no music, just, well, here's what happens. <laughs> I don't know. I like oh, yes. the, I liked Stage the script direction style, style. though. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I pulled that out for this movie only. <laughs> that's the script that I would have read when I did the show. So, yeah, that's right. It would have started out just that way. So. <laughs> this is a movie that has a lot of beats, but a lot of just amazing scenes. So let's start off with that snapping. <laughs> this is this is something that throughout the movie there is this wonderful sense that all of these scenes are like a violent dance number that's going on barely in control and could break out at any moment it's it's something that's it's pretty cool about this what stood out to you peter i'll start with you in terms of the scenes that most define how this movie gets going this you know the opening sequence where we basically you know since this is a show that is based on a broadway show it's something that we would have seen uh if if we were among the people in 1957 to see it when it first was performed we would see it on a stage we'd see like a set a like a structure that would be used through through the entire production in different ways so to watch the way it opens, uh, the way this movie opens, where we actually see all of New York, we see these like amazing like overhead shots of all of New York City, and then you know it's focus in on this one area with these this group these groups of characters, the Jets and the Sharks, and just really setting that up, and seeing this this dancing in a real area in a real environment on concrete. I can't imagine making this movie what it must have been like for those dancers to have to do all of those moves on concrete and not like a an actual dance floor like a re- relatively soft dance floor must have been well it was painful as from what i hear it, it sounds like there were some a lot of injuries <laughs> on that set but to really take a broadway show and put it in the real world this way um at least in that opening scene I mean, it it gets into some other you know more more abstract styles as the movie goes on but uh for the the way it established itself it's like okay we are opening up this broadway show and putting it in the real world and letting you experience it in the way that uh yeah as as if you're actually living there and around there it's it really is a well done way of just expanding this and just like turning west side story this huge huge hit production into a movie and doing it in the most most compelling way possible so uh yeah those (laughs) i do remember being in a theater class once and they um showed us the opening scene and it was like it wasn't like a specific theater class it was like a general education class so a lot of people who weren't really theater people were in it and there were people who who they were laughing at it they found it kind of hokey and i just remember the the professor going like oh get a grip we all know it's dated um so i mean but and i was like yeah like for real it's the movie like then was you know nearly 50 years old now it's 60 years old but there is something about just the beauty of of it all and the way it it like just the bright sunlight the way it looks you know where they shoot doesn't look that much different from you know certain areas of new york today it just it 
it, it has such a tangible aspect to it the way it starts out that way it's just it's an unforgettable way, the way it starts out and uh yeah violent dancing i feel like you feel like something is rumbling um and even though it is yeah it is dancing what they're doing they convey all they need to as far as telling the story of who these rival gangs are what younger what the public feels when they look at them like the the scares that they get from them it, it just establishes it all really well right up top yeah and the world that they're inhabiting as well there's not just the gangs they're not in this isolation they're involved with the police they're involved with this whole cultural conflict that is happening in and around them dustin how did some of those opening scenes with those elements play for you i really like the spontaneity of at any moment while you're watching this movie whether you're hearing the snaps or not you just know oh they can erupt into song at any time they could be singing to one another they could be <laughs> singing to no one uh so like sort of like a tony's song something's coming yeah when, when he's carrying the the bottles down the stairs he's not singing to anyone to hear he's just he's thinking so th- when uh you have two rival groups singing to one another when uh the song is meant to be just sort of exposition or whether or not this is an inner monologue that just has to come out with arm outreached and uh you know view towards the skies i can see how the non-theater kids in that class would have been like this is hokey or i cannot believe how cheesy this is but i think that when you sign up for this movie when we voluntarily want to see this movie you're kind of always on edge in a good way. When is the next one coming? Oh, here it is. Here it is. And now, and now you're now you're 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 tapping your feet. I, when I watched this movie uh, all the way through, I found my body unable to sit still because I I knew that we something new was coming. Um, even if it was an old song I had heard a hundred times, uh, seeing it in the context of the screenplay and how uh, it's pushing towards. Where we know it's where we know it's going, we know what it's based on. I, I actually tried to shove the Romeo and Juliet aspect of it away, I, and I wanted to watch this for no. This is West Side Story. This is not a, a reimagining of another story. Let me just see it as this own story, and uh, it, I, that was that was not just helpful, but I, I enjoyed it immensely just to be able to move from one to the other, even when there's no visual, even during the overture and the intermission when you are hearing uh, just the musical themes uh, that are about to be presented to you. Uh, it was a real treasure. I, I loved it. I love the overture and the intermission. I love w- watching like movies from this era that have the overture and the intermission. Like they, they aren't even all musicals. I just love that that stuff is built in there. It just, it, it makes, as someone who, who is really misses the theater yeah. going experience, it, it does kind of place me in that mindset Can... in a really great way. I love that. Yeah, there is a part of me that wishes this was to the degree of it's a mad, 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 mad world has this incredible introduction where it's just all animated in lines and they're introducing the cast to this hilarious, rickety musical theme while everything's being torn apart on screen. This movie is a lot subtler with the sort of lines over New York City. The second time you watch it and you know what what that is, it's sort of fun to try to pick out what the overall shape is. Can can either of you think of um, of the most modern movie you've seen with an overture and an intermission? I know that in, I think it was six years ago. I mean, I, I might be off with my time. I thought 50 years was 60 years. That was, I, that just blew my mind again. 60 years old, geez. <laughs> But um, I saw uh, on opening night, I think it was very late December 2015, The Hateful Eight was presented 
uh, with an overture, a 15-minute-long overture before the movie began. And I thought, like, wow, I, I felt transported back to when this would have been normal. What, what are the last two that you can think of that had an overture or an intermission built into the movie? I, I knew exactly what you were going to say when you said six years ago. I was like, yep, The Hateful Eight. Yeah, I can't think of any, like, more recent than 40 years ago other than The Hateful Eight. The only thing I can think of is my tendency to listen to new TV shows intros with a really judgmental eye because that is I, I think tv shows inherited the overture as the show theme <laughs> and it may not appear in movies too much but fortunately we do get that in tv shows so the last sort of cool one is the the ongoing tv show debris um which has a uh, very neat sci-fi premise and a fitting sci-fi theme that's a really astute thing to say that TV has inherited the theme from from what we from where we started to where we are. I, I think uh, my most iconic theme that that really is uh, not just present but maybe maybe present too much is uh, in the 1990 Twin Peaks series. How uh, Angelo Badalamenti's theme <laughs> is in there. Laura Palmer's theme is throughout there. Uh, it, that that music is going to come back in those themes. As awkward as that show is. Uh, it still reminds you of th there is a, a direction for this score to go, and we're going to introduce you to it with this overture. And then throughout it, I guess we, we talked about Titanic, Nathan. We, we do have one song that's used 30 different times in that movie. But with this one, I, I really liked in particular Maria, the, the almost the Swan Lake style version of Maria that's played twice aside yeah I, th that peppering that in throughout was uh i would almost say it's maybe my preferred version of that song but uh having that in there really um uh stood out uh, to answer your question you know it's interesting that you comment on versions because the film version of these songs is not the same as the leonard bernstein original it is very very similar but it is scored for an orchestra of three times the size which gives it a much more dramatic much bigger feel uh, I think Leonard Bernstein himself was a little bit jealous at, that he didn't get to do it himself. There were two other arrangers who did that adaptation. Um, I think that this is a very successful adaptation. And as the version that most people first encountered in its original run and on the released vinyl records, this is a lot of people's most familiar version. But it is definitely different, which is which is interesting. It's it's a it's a bigger sound. I uh, that that is. I mean, as someone who sang G Officer Krupke on stage, I can tell you the lyrics are all over the place in this in this film version. It's it, <laughs> it's. Uh, I mean, I had a solo in that. And my solo was nowhere to be found in this film version. So, oh no. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I think it was I, something about. I heard, I heard it wasn't so much that it wasn't allowed in the movie. It was that if they had put the lyrics in the soundtrack, that would have been like illegal or something. Like they were too inappropriate or something like that. So they changed it. Oh, for the really? Movie. Yes. I don't know the specifics really, but that is what I kind of gathered. Um, but uh, but as far as the orchestrations go, I mean, I, I'm surprised to hear you guys say that because I, I got it. It yeah. I guess this movie version just for me has always sort of felt like the definitive version and i wouldn't be surprised to hear that the production i did was actually they just took whatever the movie version did so um maybe i'm wrong there but that's just or i've just watched the movie so many times that that's now what sticks in my mind i think the big differences are just the order of some songs because the officer krupke song is supposed to be later after the death of bernardo 
yeah, that it is weird that they such an upbeat upbeat song happens after that happens in the in the story. <laughs> yeah, so it, that is the right move, I think, to move it in this in this film. So. I'm gonna save what I have to say about G Officer Krupp for a later. <laughs> Fantastic. Right. Um, <laughs> the, yeah, there are like uh, you're right as far as like the way the songs, like the familiar songs, are kind of like they're sort of hinted at early on. Um, there's like a you're probably better at musical terms than I am but, or terminology, but you hear like a very subtle piano verse like dun 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 um I don't want to get you guys sued for copyright infringement, so I will stop there. Um but, <laughs> but I mean yeah, you don't you haven't heard the song Maria yet, but you, they put that little bit of it in your head. So in a very like sweet, uh sensitive way in this really uh profound moment of the film where uh maria and tony are first meeting so it just kind of it plants the seed and it makes it that much more fulfilling when the full song comes about a few minutes later it's uh, and i i just love the way that musicals can play with that they can just like make these little tunes the themes all throughout and uh you almost you your first or even second time around you may not even really notice it it's just almost subconscious in a way the way they do that and it's really fun through a lot of scenes as those songs are building in and out of being the full song where for example in the dance scene the mambo that everybody knows evolves gradually out of what very obviously sort of satirical take on dull boring typical dance music (laughs) which then evolves into the actual mambo song as they start competitive dancing and since I'm here, I'm just going to mention a bit of the set design here. I wonder if that style of school gymnasium was more typical back then, but it felt very much like a cross between a gym and a church. Well, I guess the question <laughs> is, have you ever played basketball in a church's gym? Yeah, I I, I, I would say I... That would make I'm, sense. I'm from, I'm from closer to the deep south, uh... And in in Tennessee, uh, having your church be what the community center is and having the same place where potluck, uh, basketball tournament, dodgeball, speed dating, uh, all all the other things of the community being just one large room. And sometimes the basketball goals can be pulled via ropes and pulleys up towards the ceiling, or sometimes they're just left down. Uh, I, I kind of like... In my upbringing, it's kind of one of the same. Like, this is just kind of a community area. That, that's how I, I viewed it. It seemed natural to me. Okay, that sheds some light on, on, on that. That was not quite one of my experiences with what I would describe as the fellowship hall of the church that I grew up at, uh, being a little bit less flexible and uh, high-ceilinged. But that makes a lot of sense as a scene that takes place at what they say is a neutral location, where they have all these rules about how they can operate and where they can operate and who they can operate with. And this is one of those things in that world that they can... that they will occupy the same space and not overtly fight with each other. I think that was one of the most charming things about this movie is when the the, the prologue, you're, you're setting this up as these are jets, these are sharks. They don't like each other. They're going to get each other. But they also have to... You don't see much in terms of school. You don't see school here, but you do see places that teenagers would go, stopping by the uh, like Doc's shop or going to a dance or just being out in the street, or being uh, in a, a 
not a playground, but like where the basketball courts are, just where, where people congregate. I, I, I felt as if any time that the two groups were forced to be together, uh, particularly later in the movie when the sergeant or the cop comes in uh, and the, the, both the Jets and the Sharks had to pretend to be buddy-buddy just for a little bit. It, it, was, it was really nice to see that like they're playing within another set of rules. They've got their gang rules, but they still have to play within kind of the rest of the city's rules, which is whenever you see that on screen, I, I thought it was a delight. It's fascinating the way that it's not just the teenage gangs themselves, but the officer knows exactly what they're doing has from the beginning and he walks into that scene at Doc's candy shop and tells them off in ways which totally, totally propagate their hatred of one another and just make them even more angry. That that actor playing Shrank, Officer Shrank, or is it, I don't know if he holds some type of title, I can't remember, uh, but he, he, the actor Simon Oakland does a great job portraying this unlikable character. Hopefully it will soon be traffic cop. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, get, he gets demoted down to traffic cop. He doesn't want to be down by the traffic. Uh, yeah, yeah. But he, he, does, he does his role uh, perfectly. Sometimes we tend to unlike the unlikable characters on purpose. And so kudos to the actor for doing a good job of making that character unlikable. As if the script or the tone of his character wasn't going to make him unlikable anyway. Um, kind of was the icing on the on the bad cake. What did you guys think about some of the sets and the sort of funny sliding scale between set and actual location that this movie plays with? You know, I I did have the opportunity a few years back um uh to see this movie on the big screen and yeah, I it was such a treat to see it that and this was after I mean, this was in my phase of being like i'm not so sure i really like this movie but it just happened to be playing at a theater nearby I was like, okay sure i'll go see it this is one of those movies it just comes from an era that it was just it was made for the big screen it's it's something that uh like almost feels like it's kind of dying i feel like every character uh, director nowadays it's kind of it just they just have it in their head that a lot of people are going to wa- be watching this at home whereas like you watch this you see the sets in west side story and they just they just tower over you. They just feel so big and large and grand. Like whether it's the gate that they jump over when they're doing the rumble, uh, whether it's just the the buildings behind Tony while he's taking out those boxes when you first see him. It just, it really just, it, the way it fills the frame just fills that whole like, uh, uh, you know, 70 millimeter. Uh, um, yeah, it just, it just really, it's just spectacular to see. You almost feel like every moment looks like it's a painting or something. And the way the colors are used is just such a colorful movie because I know color, it was just like, this was around the time where like television was around. So they really wanted to just beef up visuals in uh, movies as much as they could to get people to keep going to the movies and not just stay at home and watch television um and you can really feel it here it's just and the way that you know not just the sets but also the way the uh, the lighting is used and the very um uh, very primitive usage of uh the way the um like slow motion like rear projection and uh just background sort of stuff kind of goes somehow it's still like 
you, you look at it technically and yeah it's 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 primitive technology but they use it so well in such a compelling way that it almost it doesn't matter there are plenty of other things that come around from this era where you look at that and you just have to laugh but it just it holds up so well watching it in this context like the director knew what he was doing when he had the technology that was available to him it seems like psychedelic artistic effects in movies of around this era seem to have all held up quite well. And when you see Maria start spinning from inside of the... I don't know if they're in the apartment or if they're in the dress shop at that time. But when she starts spinning and we get some kind of that psychedelic uh, red filter and then it turns into the, the large dance hall... I know I wasn't saying, oh, geez, look at this kitschy old style effect. I just, I kind of, my smile got bigger. I'm like, oh, yeah, check this out. <laughs> yeah, this is what, this is what they were doing at the time and pulled off. And then you're in a new, and you're in a new scene. The size of the sets and the space that they have is necessary for all of the grand movements that they do, which I loved. I, I wasn't a, a dancer. I didn't have any um, any type of acrobatics or gymnastics or dancing skills uh, that my mom had wanted me to do. Uh, but <laughs> seeing seeing what these, uh, I guess, it, is it hard to call them actors or dancers? I think most of them are likely dancers first, and then. Uh, I believe that they are mostly dancers first, especially because so many were dumb. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. So um, (laughs) dancers first, they need a lot of space to move around. And that was great to see. Um, And then whenever there's a lot of movement in a small confined space, I know you were asking about the the grander scales, but um, inside the apartment, inside of the dress shop, inside of Doc's shop, um, even in Doc's shop's basement, uh, there there are plenty of places where uh, you fit, what, 12 boys or, you know, then the other gang comes in. Now you've got 24 boys in one small little shop and they're all hanging all over each other um just to get in frame it it still felt real it's it 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 felt like this could work these people who are uh bounding around and doing flips in the dance hall are also able to sit at uh at small tables with tiny chairs and manage to still fill the screen and have a presence both the grand scales and the small ones i think accomplish what what they're supposed to yeah doc shop in particular is a place that just really strongly reminds me of a great location in Pittsburgh, uh, Clavon's Ice Cream Parlor uh, in the Strip District, which is a place that has been continually kept up to the standards of what an old classic ice cream parlor would look like, partially in order to be the location for various TV shows and movies that like to film in such places. So every now and then that street gets closed because some film crew is using that as a location and and you see classic cars and things so it's really cool to see uh the doc's candy shop location in such a such a relatable way that you really feel the space one aspect of this movie that we really haven't addressed too much it's in sort of an interesting in-between place between stage acting and film acting in a kind of cool way that's true yeah um it's it's hard to i mean i'm going right back to that class that i was in and people were uh kind of laughing at the the retroness <laughs> of it all um yeah it is in a way it does feel like i think just because of the way a lot of the songs are created and the way the melodies play out they kind of have to be exaggerated when they're singing and just the way the um a lot of the dialogue is written it there is kind of a musicality to it all so 
um then you have natalie wood doing a, a fake puerto rican accent so it's i mean she's uh, <laughs> i mean she does she uh, it's a valiant effort but you know there there is something that always feels a little bit fake about that you know uh, it's the 60s exactly yeah you know it's it was just the times i guess um i you know every time i see i recently watched rebel without a cause again and i i always have to remind myself oh right natalie wood <laughs> is not puerto rican is she she is actually I, i'm just so used to seeing her here and that is oh no no she is very much not um but uh but yeah it, it i mean it, it worked i think just because of the material it just the the it has to be played that way it, and um there has to be kind of a disconnect um between like his true harsh reality in order to tell the story and make it uh, make sense with, um, among all the music and musicality and everything so yeah i mean it works for me it's 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 a way that you know it still holds up in my mind so and i did appreciate the intimacy that i think it creates in several scenes where maybe on stage you wouldn't be able to quite do this but they do take advantage of the film they're in in order to really get down to almost whisper singing in a way where they're really sotto voce when they're right next to each other in a way that uh you know goes against that humorous parody that men in tights put on the two people love each other and are singing next to each other's ears <laughs> removing each other's ears due to how loudly they're singing at each other but then it builds and they step a little bit away from each other so that they're not quite shouting each at each other as they're doing this singing <laughs> i haven't watched that in a while that's funny <laughs> i like that i like the mo- the movement of our dancers and actors uh, in that stage movement style when things are clearly not I mean, I'm, I'm a kung fu movie fan, so seeing a fight done with all sorts of extraneous movements and three people jumping in, in sync behind them while something else happens, uh, you have to be prepared for, like, this is the movement for the whole movie. It's not going to change. It will continuously be a lot of, a lot of movement going on behind the focus of, this, of the shot. Um, and then when you do get um, an intimate shot, I, I feel like nostalgic. It made me think of older movies like Gone with the Wind. It made me think of older close-ups to Judy Garland. It made me think of how uh, it, it, an actual close-up during a uh, powerful song or uh, between two characters. Um, I, I, I really think there's a perfected head movement that was not done by uh, Derek Zoolander, his blue steel head movement. I think... Uh, Bernardo, whenever something <laughs> catches his attention and then it catches the attention of the rest of the sharks, or when um, some, something is presenting some type of danger to the jets or to just someone uh, bystanding, and the, and the way that they look towards what the audience should be looking at, it's not just helpful, it's not just to force a perspective on something, it is so overly theatrical. I think the first overly theatrical thing that maybe caught me off guard was you have one of the jets action boy gets tripped up by one of the sharks as they're leaving the kind of caged basketball area and the beginning of their fight begins with sort of a swan dive of one of the of the jets onto the shark and it's caught so delicately and it almost looks like this is about to be an an embrace uh, a loving tussle in the sheets but it has to be done this way and uh, if you're expecting Jason Bourne out of any of this, you're one, you're 60 years too, sorry, 50 years too late. I'm bad <laughs> with numbers today. Uh, you're way too late. 
And like, this is just what you're going to get. You're going to get the choreographed blocking is its own type of dance and art. And um, when it's happening on stage, or sorry, on the screen, you almost feel like these, you, you could take these same dancers and if it were to be on a stage, even with the grand scale of the fight scene underneath the highway or the grand scale of the uh, street during the opening prologue that, um, this would work and it would be a delight if you were in row eight in, in, as opposed to watching it on TV. Uh, I, I, it was, it, it, it keeps your attention. And, uh, as long as you know that like, this is what you're in for, it's exact, it delivers, it, it delivers exactly what you would expect from a retelling of a stage production. It, it really is just incredible. Some of the dance moves that you see in this, just the gracefulness of it all and the way that it, it still can, it conveys the story so well, like it, it, you feel the danger, but you're also just mar- you marvel at just how they gravity almost doesn't seem to exist. I mean, they'll, they'll land on the ground <laughs> and they they just spin right up, and it just yeah. And but you still feel the weight of it. You still feel that there's something uh, there's danger there. So yeah, it's it's just so yeah. great. To and they're interacting with their environment in a way which is quite cool artistically, where they're pulling themselves up over things and onto things and. Um, in a funny way, the fact that they do those weird soft landings really calls attention to the fact that they are on hard concrete and that anything harder than that would probably be really painful <laughs> at the other end of it. Yeah, I I just can't even imagine how many it takes, how many it takes it took to get some of these shots right. You know, it's one of those movies where you just, you watch and you you have to admire the effort behind it, just how much work must have gone into it to make all of these people in this frame do exactly what they needed to do at exactly the right time and not kill themselves in order to do it. Yeah, Richard Bamer, Richard Bamer plays Tony, um, clearly puts uh, on some barbed oh, wire. And then yes. at the end of that scene, after after the, the two stabbings, scales a, I'm going to say a 20-foot fence and maybe four climbing mo- mo- movements like maybe like he just needs four handholds to get over, does a front flip over it, and drops that amount. Um, now, when you're when you're very young and made of rubber, maybe you can do that. But you know that that's it's done so frequently. The uh, the drop off of the concrete wall uh, before that rumble scene. If they didn't do, I noticed that they did it relatively safely. None of them jumped from like like that standing position. Most of them held on and then dropped from a, a lower height. But even still, I was just like, man, even that two-foot fall would mess up my knees nowadays. Uh, Seeing them do it uh, balancing on a teeter-totter, that must have been a nightmare to get it to work perfectly, especially with some of the larger dudes like Ice. And uh, the effort paid off uh, because what you saw was, you, you put it correctly, Peter, it was a marvel. To, to witness and you know what else is going through all those stunts with them is the clothes they're wearing this is uh it, you know similarly to a movie that dustin and i reviewed just a couple weeks ago with titanic this is another movie with some pretty spectacular wardrobes and outfits going on from what is coming out of the bridal shop to the more street clothes going on to the officer's clothing uh what did you guys think of all of those pieces yeah, I mean, it looked very authentic. It, I mean, it felt uh, it didn't feel like, well, maybe the in the song America, all the costumes they're wearing up there, maybe that feels a little uh, a little theatrical in a way. But um, 
for the most part it feels it feels pretty real world to me or at least it conveys real world to me maybe um uh maybe i'm overthinking it a little there maybe it is supposed to be super exaggerated but um but yeah i uh the costume pieces all worked well what what i notice the most i think we're used to seeing t-shirts today with prints with with uh certain type of designs on them we're used to seeing t-shirts as being part of like a, a an outfit or an ensemble uh to wear sometimes you i believe uh that's the the macklemore and ryan lewis song you pay 50 dollars for a t-shirt like, i mean that's we're used to seeing t-shirts kind of be part of what is i, I don't know presentable but the t-shirts of that era are just undershirts this is a t this is a shirt that you wear you probably wear it every day uh, or maybe you have five of the same undershirt and they're dirty and they're ratty and you wear them because it's hot outside. Uh, it, it's not meant to be fashionable. It's meant to be functional. Uh, you have a lot of knit tops, I noticed, um, in this, especially from the Jets. Uh, you have a lot of um, what seems like this seems like summertime. Uh, I guess it may be probably is summertime considering the lack of school being a part of this of this movie. But um, a lot of knit tops with like uh, sleeves rolled up. And this was likely a hand-me-down from your brother who's gone off to get a job. I would say a lot of, like, the, the, the necklines and the way that the shoulders hit on, on these, essentially, boys' shirts and slacks, uh, it, it does seem completely authentic. I think the closest I had seen to that era, and may, maybe a little actually after that era, was the Mad Men casual wear. You, you, in Mad Men, the show, you see a lot of formal suits, but when they're wearing casual wear, they kind of look like goobers. They kind of they kind of look like uh uh like lame like it's not fashionable it's because it really wasn't and I don't think you look at any of the gang members uh action boy is wearing a vest it's like three sizes too small it's only buttoned or not too small too large it's only buttoned down at the very bottom I know I'm only talking about the the men's wardrobe right now but uh, it does seem extremely authentic I will say yeah America yeah they are at the top on the roof. They are uh, dressed up a little bit more, but they had just come from the dance. I think that's the only reason that 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 particular wardrobe is uh, maybe a little too big for uh, the time or a little too dressed up. But uh, I, I dug it all. That's true. That's true. Yeah. The sharks, unlike the jets, actually enjoy being dressed up. It appears so. Yeah, they want to feel pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Dustin, you mentioned it. At the core of this movie is a romance that is one for the ages. Peter, how does this strike you? You Look, yeah, when you have... (laughs) I mean, when you have a romance, yes. You know, you look at it on paper. Okay, they only knew each other for a couple of days. Um, You look at Romeo and Juliet. You look at Titanic. Yeah, they only knew each other for a couple of days. But you know what? When you have a movie that is able to sell it this way that is able to really put forth all the emotions that are needed from the actors and just the atmosphere that they're in that they're in and and the music of course which is huge a huge component in selling the story i'm i'm on board i'm fully on board even though if i'm not a hundred percent convinced of the reality of it i'm more than willing to suspend my disbelief if it make if you know in order to enjoy this story that it's telling because you know the larger story is uh you know the how the world is lousy because of all this conflict that's going on and lives are lost because of like that reason you know the fact that it's telling that larger story uh means that you know you're kind of 
for me, I'm, it's just kind of nitpicking to have a problem with that. So, like, the love story really, it really works for me, thanks to the music. And, um, you know, the performances aren't, I mean, they're they're really sincere. You, you feel a real sincerity from both of them. And uh, they just have real um, movie star quality to them. And that's, uh, it, it's hard not to kind of kind of ship them in that way <laughs> would you say would you say peter that both of them can portray kind of a um that like a dreamy being lost in someone type of facial acting like like when they are looking at each other they're selling it and and would you say that it has to do with that um, i would say like some of the like the effects the the film effects kind of help with that but when they're looking at one another and smiling those big white smiles of theirs that they really are like, enamored with each other. Yeah, certainly. I mean, the the basically what is the equivalent of the balcony scene from Romeo and Juliet in this movie, where they're <laughs> out on the the catwalk or the the fire escape. Uh, yeah, those. I mean, which is actually, I believe, the cover of the album, the widely selling soundtrack album, is that image there. Mm-hmm. It is so. Uh, you, you, I mean. Richard Bamer, he the way he has that wondrous gaze that he uses throughout a lot of the movie, especially when he's staring at Maria, it's yeah, just sells it so well. And so does she even, you know, I've seen uh, it was pretty common practice to dub uh, not just non singers, but just about anybody in um, musicals back then uh, with uh, with better singers. Um, But I mean, if I if nobody had told me that, I probably wouldn't have noticed in this movie. Even in that that really great scene, I imagine uh, they were both dubbed. I'm pretty sure Natalie Wood was. I think uh, Richard Bamer was as well. Um, it really, it, it I didn't didn't even know it. it. Didn't bother me at all. They did it really well, and so it yeah, it was all conveyed. It all it, they sell it, and which yeah makes you really feel it at the end when you know it meets the the same ends that we've seen in uh, the aforementioned films as well yeah it's definitely really hard in a romance movie to really sell the first look and they're in love with each other and i think this movie you know everything had to work together their acting and just the way the effects work together to create this psychedelic atmosphere that's selling the emotions of them and telling us what's going on inside their heads and yeah that soundtrack that you just get that wonderful flute theme that is running over the top of that and the strings undergird net there are movies i think where romantic love doesn't have a place and in uh, the history of american cinema we tend to have romantic love in more movies than it should be in. Uh, having a meaningful relationship like a best friend relationship between uh, riff and tony having uh, the meaningful relationship of sisters uh, like anita and maria um and 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 brother and sister like bernardo and maria uh, those relationships are good, and sometimes I feel like uh, <clears throat> romantic love gets in the way of what the story, what we're trying to to have happen. Uh, but considering sort of the classical background of this story, um, if it's not for that love at first sight that wasn't supposed to happen because Tony wasn't really even part of the gang anymore, and it, it, it kind of sets off this this chain reaction that is. Um, As I said, I tried to remove Romeo and Juliet from my mind as I was watching this movie, and I loved the chain reaction of this love story, being forbidden as it is, uh, leads to tragedy, and it leads to uh, little little pieces throughout the the rest of how the movie gets to where it's going that... um, I think is really well done. It's not necessarily subtle, but the the decisions sometimes made, 
the I think the the biggest decision towards the end when when Anita decides to say that um, when she goes to Doc's after being um, treated poorly, we'll say by the Jets in that scene, uh, when she says that uh, he won't get his chance because Chino found out about Maria and Tony and he killed her. If if it's not for the love story, that doesn't matter to the rest of the Jets. But then when that news gets to Tony. I mean, clearly it's not quite a one-for-one one when it comes to that old Romeo and Juliet tale, but um, the, the, the love story of this movie matters so much. It's a, a real pleasure to watch a movie where it matters, and it is, it is in fact kind of um, what, what makes the culmination of this movie so um, impactful is the love story between Maria and Tony, uh, who after less than 24 hours are... Uh, practicing getting married in her dress shop uh, with a with a tux and tails and a dress uh shows you the how dramatic teenagers can be but also um it's it's just oh this is moving fast and 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 this this movie does move fast yeah i mean that's that's how you got sometimes you have to tell a story that way the scene where they're getting for some reason i had completely forgotten about that scene i don't even remember it being in my production um the scene where they're getting married or pretending to get married and i i found that quite adorable it really conveys a lot and and just yeah it brings you right into their mindset makes you really root for them and um yeah, makes it that much more important later on. Yeah, I think that scene really helps sell that they work together, not just when they're looking at each other, but they can they they can really make their moments enjoyable when things come down at the end and Maria and Tony are running to each other and Chino gets the shot off and for a moment you're not sure, you know, has it hit one of them? Is it going to be tony is it going to be maria and then tony is dying in her arms it just makes that moment much more affecting indeed absolutely yeah you know what that is uh i did mention that i probably was shown this movie as a kid and now and yeah remember i definitely was shown it as a kid or at least part of it because that the end scene where you know uh, of tony's death and just remembering the way that the music underscores it and the emotions and the tears and even after the movie ends and seeing the the end credits on like being the graffiti on the walls like that all really stuck in my mind like even as a young i don't know seven eight year old kid like that that was profoundly affecting to me even not having seen most of the rest of the movie or remembering it so it's yeah it's a wonderful just a classically well done sold moment that uh, which would have to be because oh boy pretty important to the movie well it's been great going over the movie itself but i think it is time to move into our movie superlatives section this is where we give awards to different aspects of the film we're going to start with something that's a little bit different this time since this is a musical we should just list off what your favorite musical number is peter Okay, my favorite musical number in this. Yeah, I it might be kind of a deep cut, but it always has been my favorite. It's the one that like I continued to sort of hum and just really you know, you know what? That's the wrong that's the wrong phrase. It's not the one that I would hum to myself a lot, but it was the one that I found most compelling and that is a boy like that. Just the way that song moves and the anger and the frustration that Anita conveys during it, it just, it's always really stuck out to me. And the fact that it's, you know, it's more or less a solo, I, I think, I think she's the only one who sings it. Does someone feel free to correct? I might be wrong. Feel free to correct me if I am. But uh, 
but yeah, that that song really has uh, sort of resonated with me. I mean, the the rest are you know classical show-stopping moments all throughout it, but a boy like that has always been. Yeah, it's really killed me every time. Yeah, I don't know if the stage version is different, but in the film, at least, A Boy Like That is cross-cut, essentially, with Maria singing I Have a Love, and they're, from a chord standpoint and intervals, they ha- they're they related to one another, but they are diff- different in the way that they're dissonant in a quite striking way. It's very cool pairing of songs. So For sure, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, you know, it probably was that way in the stage version as well, but uh, yeah, Rita Moreno's, her, her performance, her delivery there, just, it really stands out for me there. I'm really hoping, I, I'll, I'll get, I'm really hoping somebody from your, from your senior year of college is listening and being like how could he not remember (laughs) (laughs) oh darn it (laughs) so i came in i came in with three prepared i i will i will say my three but i'll talk about one Uh, my three favorite numbers are the dance at the gym mambo um i uh i love tonight uh especially sung by both but my number one number is and i think this is kind of strange because of its placement in the movie being different than its placement in the stage production but uh cool Sung by Ice and the Jets and and, and nice. the girls. Uh, uh, that's the song I will hum and have been humming since Thursday. Um, the, it, it is probably the first song I played or remember being from West Side Story. You know, g- growing up in in bands and and uh, you know getting even into marching band in high school and college. Uh, cool has always been one of my favorites. And the scene in the movie with Ice's crazy eyes and the spontaneous um, shouts from the rest of the uh, the gang. And then I will say, close second is the dance, the, the mambo in the dance. But I think Cool has the best choreography of the entire movie. And th- that's why that scene is one that, even though I watched the movie, we'll say one and a half times, uh, I've watched Cool, that, that choreography, probably ten times on YouTube over the last three days i I love that one i love how it looks on screen we would uh we would pretty much always like the go-to phrase we would say to each other's like just at random moments if someone's <laughs> getting a little he just hey just keep it cool, cool boy coolly cool, cool boy. real cool yeah. uh and and uh our our choreography was not quite as cool as in uh this movie or maybe maybe it's cool uh you know what i'll leave it up to you guys there was a moment where i'm being rolled onto the stage sitting on a table <laughs> wearing a cereal box on my head during that show so you know what uh yeah we we do what we can when uh we're not entirely professional dancers <laughs> to keep things interesting so uh, sounds cool to me <laughs> good, good. yeah that's as cool as it gets isn't it yeah i mean you're absolutely right there are so many amazing songs in this movie there's you know amazing love songs one hand one heart is just spectacular and there's yearning songs somewhere and something's coming of People who are just, they see a future that they could inhabit and want to inhabit somewhere they want to leave to, and they're just singing really beautiful songs with really amazing ensemble work. Uh, But, you know, my favorite of all these really has to be Maria. Mm. Um, The incredible sort of prayer-like intro that it has, building building to that classic tritone and then resolution to the fifth that makes this whole movie work so well together with all of its musical numbers perfectly encapsulated by that piece i love it too even though it's Uh, such a like i tend to move away from like the most popular or like the biggest thing of anything uh, of any movie Uh, it's so good Uh, i it's it's great Uh, it's it's worth being picked for sure i have no regrets 
Next up, we have the MVP. Can be the director, an actor, a supporting actor. Peter, who's your pick? I'm I'm just going to say, even though there were, I think, three of them to choose from on this. Well, I guess technically two, but you could say three. Uh, I mean, the director putting something like this together, making like taking this big hit musical and finding a way to make it what it is. Uh, you know, as, as a performer, I almost want to just go straight to a, a performer, actor, supporting actor or something. But uh, but I, the fact that the director was able to wrangle all this together, get it so, so perfect, just be determined to make it as precise and memorable in every way. I mean, that's that is a that's a big thing is that it can't have been easy to translate something from stage to screen is not as easy that as people seem to think i mean i'd say their ratio of uh good to bad is at least one to five on that and uh they uh, with this they did it and i mean i think yeah there's so many other hands that go into making that happen but as far as i'm concerned i mean yeah i i gotta hand it to the director on this one so yeah robert wise and jerome robbins really excellent job with some input from stephen sondheim and uh, about how things would be put together but really really amazing job dustin how about you i'm going to go with an actor here um because i i feel like saying leonard bernstein doesn't count because it's 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 something that's lasted um in terms of its musical prowess forever so i'm going to say the mvp in terms of a performer I'm going to go with Russ Tamblin as Riff, uh, leader of the Jets. Uh, when nice. you see him, when he's singing, when he's just around, he feels like the leader. You can tell he is seen as the leader, even when Tony's around. They like Tony, but it's still kind of Riff's calling the shots. Um, he sets the table for a lot of what's happening. He perpetuates the Jets' lifestyle. He's the one that wants to get rid of the Sharks' influence. Um, he sows this type of hope. I don't know if it's false hope. He believes that like we can just beat it out of uh beat it out of the other guys his dancing is incredible i i i had first heard the name russ tamblin when he was playing dr jacoby in 1990s twin peaks uh i also learned that he's amber (laughs) amber tamblin's dad but i don't even know what she's in i just know the name um and so to see a young version of him doing backflips and like somersaults and handsprings um and then also i mean yes uh maybe it's based on the makeup but his up close shots it's like he he feels like, man, if, if you put this in, he, he could be the real Dennis the Menace. He could really be the leader of this, like, 50s street gang. Um, and then his death fuels the ending. So, like, he, he drives um, how the movie needs to end uh, to, for you to feel the way that you end up feeling. So uh, his character and and just the, the actor himself, uh, Russ Hamblin is riff, my MVP. No, I do want to add, yeah, Russ Tamlin is in Twin Peaks, and Richard Bamer is also in yep. Twin Peaks. Yep, of so course. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. As uh, Jerry Horn. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> he loves eating that brie sandwich. <laughs> Apparently, David Lynch loves this movie. He's a huge fan of West Side Story. And you know what other famous director loves this movie? Calls it his favorite movie of all time? No, lay it on me, daddy-o. Michael Bay. Michael Bay says that West Side Story <laughs> is his favorite movie of all time, which... Uh, I just find that crazy. That just blows my mind. So, uh. so he thinks it's amazing in sort of a do as I say, not as I do sort of way in the uh, area of explosions. <laughs> Probably yeah. not enough exploding yeah. cars in that West Side Story. <laughs> it's so weird. Uh, for my MVP, I am going to go with Leonard Bernstein because how can how yeah. can I not? <laughs> it's so it's just such an amazing piece of music, and it. 
permeates every little bit of it. It's all connected. It's it's something I just completely love. But next up is Best Supporting Actor, Peter. Uh, Best Supporting Actor, I am choosing Rita Moreno. I think she is, I think she's amazing. And she is such a, she's continued to be so active, still alive today and still goes on stage and does stuff. I mean, she just is, uh, to look at that legend who, of course, I mean, yeah, because of the world that uh, we live in never really got to be the big, big, huge star that I feel like she could have and should have been. Um, I was really focused on her this time around, and she was, uh, like, I just find her work so compelling here. Also, when you consider what she had to go through, the fact that she is an actual Puerto Rican in this movie, but also had to darken her skin to match the darkened skin on the white actors in this movie. Just, be, <laughs> yeah. that's just so, I, I mean, yeah, different times, different times, but I mean, it's just like, the 60s like, were weird. Yeah. The 60s. Exactly. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I feel like that at least deserves mentioning the fact that she had to do that, but, uh, but yeah, she's great. I love Rita Moreno and, um, I'm glad she's still with us. So, yeah. Dustin, what's yours? She really does kill it, and and I would say like she she portrays judgment so well uh, from from her sisterly side. I would say uh, my 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 best supporting actor is going to be. There are a lot to choose from, but I decided to choose Elliot Feld as Baby John, uh, oh, one of the okay. Jets, one of the Jets uh, supporting cast, who seems to be the voice of innocence in a group of. This is what we're about. And there's one person saying, well, what if we don't want to fight? Um, he, he is seen right before the G Officer Krupke scene reading a Captain Marvel comic book. And he, he's, just, he's just being a child, which they all are, which is sometimes for, hard to remember considering these are a lot of men playing children. Um, <laughs> but showing that th- this, this is the kid that's kind of got a lot of his uh, childhood still left in him and adolescence is shown i would say he's actually one of the younger looking actors as well um but what it made me think of was what do gangs do most of the time most of the time they aren't committing crimes or fighting each other most of the time they're doing things everybody else does they're playing video games they're reading comic books they're playing cards they're playing sports they're watching tv they're going to family dinners so gang members shown through media are often seem to be like the gang life is a hard life well yeah five percent of the time that you're doing gang stuff the rest of the time, you're just doing people stuff. And I feel like Baby John kind of shows, like, the like this is a person. Uh, later on, I think maybe one of my favorite scenes is uh, Action Boy comes, no, not Action Boy, Arab comes running by, hey, what, what's going on with you, uh, Baby John? Don't look at me. I'm, I don't want the guys to see. I'm crying. <laughs> I, 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 love, I love that line. I, I think he's a, a great part of this cast, and he's my uh, best supporting actor. Nice. I got to do that scene. Um, <laughs> I was a rap, so. A great choice. And, you know, for me, I'm actually going with Ned Glass, the doc of Doc's Candy Shop, who is shepherding Tony through everything and having to deal with the crazy complexity of the life that he knows that Tony's dealing with and understanding just how to bring him out of it. And in that wonderful scene where after Nito has gone and Doc comes down and he knows or he thinks that Maria has been killed and he's trying to break the news to Tony and Tony is completely distraught over it and the acting that goes between the two of those actors in that scene is 
quite spectacular. This is a, you make this world lousy, and they say, we didn't make it, Doc. I, yeah, that's a really, that's a good moment that kind of sums up the movie. I, I would have chosen Doc myself had I not thought one of you two would. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he was, he's great. Always the contrarian. Well, next up we have an underappreciated minor cast or element, as we call it, the hidden gem. Peter, what's yours? Um, maybe the funniest moment of the movie, and I'm glad we have this category because we have not mentioned this gentleman yet, so I'm going to go ahead and do that. John Aston as Gladhand <gasps> showing up out of nowhere um, and uh, breaking up a potential scuffle in the middle of the dance floor uh, just by being <laughs> a funny, crazy, silly dude. Just by showing up and saying, hey, how's that going? It's just, it's such a great moment and uh this was desperately trying to be a commentator (laughs) yes right um i yeah pre-adams family john asked i did not know he was going to be in this movie when i first saw it when he showed up i was like what the what (laughs) like and uh it's it's a great moment there and it's uh, yeah for me definitely the biggest laugh of the movie so uh right there (laughs) john asked yeah what does he say it's like uh um yeah, we're going to try the, the boys on the outside and the girls on the inside. And then when the music stops, you dance with whoever you land on. It, could, it couldn't hurt to try. I, 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 Glad Hand was my hidden gem, too. That's why I had that oh, ready was to go. It? Okay. So, yeah, I, I loved him as well. I, I thought just his brief time on screen uh, was, was incredible. So I'll go with my second place choice, which was uh, anybody's. I, I don't, uh, we didn't actually nice. <clears throat> cover her at all. Kind of a little minor part of the uh jets gang uh the girl the tomboy who um really wants to be a part and really wants to help and ends up doing a great job uh, i would uh kind of attribute her her importance to the movie uh similar to uh gavroche in les miserables you need just a little scamp to do little scamp things sometimes and she does that so that's my second option Oh my gosh, you guys have stolen things off, <laughs> off my list for this. Was this, year, was this year's too? <laughs> yep, yep. Gladhand was number one. Oh my gosh. So uh, yeah, I, I'm just going to uh, agree with both of you instead. Um, but in a movie that has so many amazing parts, who would you have recast? You know, I'm... Uh... I wouldn't have thought of this if I didn't hear just yesterday that apparently this person was in contention. And uh, so I just have to say it. So even though I'm kind of stealing from reality here, I'm going to say Audrey Hepburn was offered the role of Maria. And I think that would have been pretty amazing to see. I would have really liked that. I think that could have been a huge thing for her already super huge career. she uh, it was like a technical like she didn't want to move away too far from home or something like that it was something just something personal like she wanted to do it but like just couldn't so i would have liked to see that you know nothing nothing against natalie wood um she's she does a great job here but uh i think audrey hepburn really could have uh made this movie just that much better so yeah dustin how about you I don't want to feel like we're piling on because this isn't a Natalie Wood thing. Uh, <laughs> but um, I have brought up before on the podcast that movies of this age uh, generally don't have that one uh, great of a pool to choose from, nor do they make the choice to cast uh, Latina actors. Um, but I would say if if I had to bend reality somehow, I would replace uh, whoever is doing the singing for Maria's parts. Whoever that is has kind of a Sarah Brightman syndrome meaning that they sing everything similarly 
and I tone doesn't come across the same way um, for sad songs or happy songs. The the vibrato sometimes in the higher notes, it's like an aria sung on stage, not part of a production, or like an aria sung as part of like a revival where people are just singing songs, not doing the acting. So if I were to choose anything to recast, I would just replace uh, that uh, singing voice with a Rebecca Del Rio or um, a, who's just a Latina singer that I like or you know, depending on, on the time, you could choose anyone, but uh, I just felt like that sounded inauthentic. That's the closest thing I could get to a recast. Now, if, uh, Rebecca Del Rio, <clears throat> am I correct that that is the lady from Mulholland Drive who sings that song, uh, Gerondo? Yes. Or am I speaking gibberish? No, okay, no, it is. All right, cool. Great, great choice. You know, for mine, I'm going in a left field direction for this, which will nevertheless not be terribly surprising for me. You know, (laughs) the music in this movie is incredibly well done. Every bit of it is amazing. But how could you not get Leonard Bernstein, one of the most charismatic directors of all time, to direct this film? Like, apologies to to John Green here, who was the conductor and musical director for this film. How could you not get the composer, who was such a charismatic, not only director, but music educator and inspiration to a whole generation of musicians? Let's get him on stage here. (laughs) Let's get him on stage. (laughs) Also, the sort of modern knowledge of what is happening, which I did not realize this was happening until researching for this film, but there's a new version of this film that is coming out this December that I had not known about it before. And it is a real A-list of of people up here. So this is, or has been, directed by Steven Spielberg, which is really exciting to start with. Mm Mm-hmm. But they're using Gustavo Dudamel, who possibly might outcompete Leonard Bernstein for being a dancing maestro up at the up at the up at the front of the orchestra. So I couldn't have chosen a more perfect director now for the music of that movie. I will say that my excitement for this December is almost eclipsing my excitement for the movie Dune this year. <sighs> and that is hard to do. So I'm very excited. I, I was excited last December when uh, West Side Story was originally supposed to come out. And now I'm excited for next December. It has been in the can for a while. And I'm, yeah, it's, I'm glad it's finally, hopefully finally happening at the end of this year. Because, yeah, I, I've been really looking forward to it. Yeah, and by that time, hopefully I'll be able to see it in theaters. Because that is something I'm very jealous of you, Peter, for having been able to catch a showing in, in theaters for this. Oh, yeah, I, I highly recommend, even after having already seen it, I do recommend catching this on the big screen if you ever get the opportunity it's it is really made for it definitely very awesome but moving on to the best shot peter for you what's the best shot in this film god there are so many to choose from i i I really i'm not satisfied with any of my picks but i just the first one that came to mind is uh and i may not explain it perfectly it's just something that stood out in my head when uh tony is just running screaming chino come from like come for me chino i'm right here chino and like uh like just runs up to a gate and just starts weeping and it's he's just kind of in the dark it's almost silhouette but it's just a really uh just a spectacular moment in a movie that is full of moments that are spectacular as far as cinematography and shot goes so yeah yeah great choice great choice dustin how about you? Uh, the best shot for me is during the uh, performance of Cool. I like that leaderless ice kind of takes up the mantle of keeping everyone 
relaxed and you got to stay cool. Uh, he's got crazy eyes <laughs> during this entire scene, which I love. Um, but this the shot is the shot. Um, the everybody getting low, everybody like like leaning over, uh, kind of crouching forward and moving directly towards the camera. Um, they they do kind of a little hop. Uh, I think that particular move has been redone several times. I believe it was the basis for a Gap commercial in the late '90s. Um, that particular shot of them coming at the camera um, during uh, a kind of a driving bass line of that song, uh, that and, and and the uh, kind of being underground or at least in the parking structure with the, the bright lights behind them, um, that is that is that is just so cool. That is my best shot. Yeah, really awesome use of the environment and the headlights in particular in that in that whole scene was really striking. Uh, for me, it's close to the beginning where Tony is taking the bottles in from the shop. There's just something so cool about the visual of how this guy is trying to get out and he's just taking bottles down. And meanwhile, Riff is just trying to bring him back into the life and talk him back in. And all of this is just shot with that wonderful sort of warm filter that's, that's placed over a lot of this movie in a, in, in a cool way. So that's for me, but broadening out a little bit, what is the best scene for you in this movie, Peter? Best scene? I mean, it's an obvious choice, but I mean, there's something to be said about the fact that it's something that I remembered from when I was single <laughs> digits. The, the last scene of the movie is just so well executed between the way it's edited, the way it gets really up close to the characters, um, the way the music, uh, you know, it just sort of comes in and out. The way it underscores are just so subtle. Doesn't really bang you over the head with the music. It just, it's very, it's very quiet and very appropriate. And uh, the camera just pulling out at the ends and just letting you just see the remains. It's like, this is what, this is how this is ended. This is how this turns out. This is what it's all led to, this tragedy. It, um... It really hits well, and um, yeah, and and the lights, the cars that the as, as the police pull up, and you realize that these teenagers who have gone towards violence and even you know seen death and experienced killing and wanted to kill in this movie are suddenly realizing sort of the stakes of what's happened. Um, it's it's amazing how how well that sells it. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And you almost, you barely even see the cops. They're just kind of like out there in the background as if they're just like so secondary in a way to to what has just gone on. And it's, but, you know, they were, if they had only been there a few minutes earlier, it's, but, uh, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Dustin, what about you? That scene really wraps up the movie too. Uh, it, it just so well. Uh, but my favorite scene, and I think the best scene, is the dance scene. Uh, for all of the elements involved in it, which I will run down, uh, <clears throat> I think I mentioned that uh, the, the Mambo is one of my top three numbers, and that that's because after the kids kind of separate to their two sides, the the first big brassy hit of Mambo is when the Puerto Rican kids start to like saunter towards the middle of the dance floor. The women have their hands in the air, the men have their hands in the air behind them, and it's kind of like an opening salvo. Like a like a challenge. This is the challenge that, that times it's timed perfectly with uh, that song. Uh, you have Gladhand doing his best, a little sweet best best intention <laughs> adult. Uh, I believe on Wikipedia he's he's technically a social worker. Like he's he's trying to get the kids to like be involved in stuff and not the gang world. 
um, immediately ignored uh, by the kids. Uh, another incredible dance sequence by both sides, Russ Tamblin flipping all over the place. And then it culminates in Tony and Maria meeting. Uh, and uh, their banter there, uh, I, I, I don't want to butcher the quotes, but the, the, between them, uh, when, when they are falling in love at first sight, uh, the, the, the things they say to one another are very sweet. And so a culmination of the scene, uh, I think it's the best in the movie. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah, and all of the really neat effects work that goes into selling the isolation and sort of the tunnel vision that Tony and Maria get during that scene is just beautifully done and really imaginative in a way that seems to, uh, I don't know, prophesy certain movements that would then happen after that to do with sparkly lights in dance halls. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, yeah, it, and and it was done seeming. It had to have been done like practically too. Those aren't CGI people back there. They're they're. It's Ice and his girl, and it's uh you know Action Boy and his girl and uh, whoever else back there. Uh, awesome scene. <laughs> and for my scene, I'm actually going to call out the moment when Tony finally, after running around for a while, shouting Maria's names to the balconies, finally somehow or other finds the right one and she steps out and they have that whole scene the song that they sing everything about that is a pretty awesome scene um and the way that they use the fire escapes as this really neat three-dimensional vertical stage for how they're moving around is something that is just really cool to me moving on to best wardrobe or makeup moment in a movie that has very many what do you think so so you can ask my partner ray i am really a big blind spot i have when watching my movies i'm really terrible at noticing costumes like he'll ask me okay what's <laughs> what did you think of the costumes of this and he's like oh geez I, they were wearing costumes <laughs> um I, uh, so um my answer probably won't be perfect here but i had a great time watching uh, you know, it comes right off after the intermission, which we I just loved the intermission is uh, uh, I feel pretty and they're just going crazy with all the you know, with all the fabric at yeah. their disposal. Yeah, th- that was a lot of fun to watch. So it's a, it's an obvious choice. But uh, for someone like me, you kind of need the obvious choice. So yeah, <laughs> I, w- I feel pretty was I mean, it, it's a number that I just found myself appreciating even more than I ever have this. I appreciated so much about this movie more than I ever have. It's a movie that I like more and more every time I watch it. So uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I feel pretty is my answer there. <laughs> a movie that really gets better the closer you watch it. Dustin? This would have to be, it has to be uh, Bernardo with his purple shirt and purple socks and the thin tie. Uh, it's it's a great <laughs> look. It's a look that I, even at my thinnest, was never thin enough to pull off. It's it's a it's an awesome uh, look, and I think a lot of the guys mimic that same that same look of uh, almost like uh, what would Desi Arnaz have looked like if he was a if he was a teenager uh, and and he was and he had an access to that kind of wardrobe. I think one of the all of all of the PR kids, uh, especially the 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 men, have great uh, kind of casual like suit wear that they're wearing one of the kids is, is wearing a cummerbund which has never looked good on anyone but it looks on looks good on this guy <laughs> so like uh, as an orchestral player who wears cummerbunds to most concerts i reject that notion <laughs> with great fury oh, you gotta <laughs> I, I used to play the violin and wore my share of cummerbunds and um i completely accept your theory yeah. actually <laughs> i'm right there with you. Uh, so. they look as good as someone wearing a cummerbund can look <laughs> 
Uh, that, that, I guess that's what I can say. <laughs> the, that's my, yeah, the, the PR kids, but particularly Bernardo. <laughs> I do find it funny in that scene how it's very obvious that the Jets, when they dress up, they're donning a costume in a way that the Sharks are stepping into just something they're used to or sort of are are much better at because the jets some of them don't even go the full way into having a proper suit or anything they don't know how to do this they just kind of know that you wear a suit to this sort of thing at least for a lot of them so it is interesting how those wardrobe oh, choices yeah. in that scene seem to reflect the actual characters yeah definitely that, it's point sharks in, the, in if we're if we're adding points up that's oh, point yeah. sharks it helps when some of your members are the actual dressmakers yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's two points, Sharks. Is that one, one, they've got the better wardrobe, and two, they work for it. Yep, yep, exactly. You know, for me, it's to do with that razor wire that Tony has to jump over in that in, in that fight scene. And I'm sure it's, it's also, you know, he was also in a fight, so probably it was ripped by many other things during that scene, but... I, I imagine he jumps over that fence and he's all shaky and he gets his shirt a little bit more ripped than it was even before. And he gets back to Maria and she's just what she thinks is just a rumor at that moment that Tony has killed Bernardo. She sees him and one look tells her it's true. That's yeah, a great moment for me. For the, for the That shirt is only hanging on to him with perspiration. I don't think it's tucked in anywhere. I, it's barely being held together. <laughs> it's stuck to him via sweat. That was actually my second option. I, I'm with you. I think that's an awesome choice. I, f- I feel like you guys watched your own movie. <laughs> like none of that <laughs> registered for me. I'm so bad at noticing the costume stuff. <laughs> but you know what? Hey, next time I watch this movie, it's I will watch It's why you watch the movie with the outline, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're right. You're right. That should have kept that in hand. So, uh, yeah. Well, uh, you know what? Next time I watch it, yes. Thank you. Thank you for all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the secret to close your watching. Your lack of focus on wardrobe means there's an extra focus someplace else and that's why we love to have you as a guest here on retro movie oh thank you (laughs) absolutely (laughs) well hey if you had to change one thing about this movie what is it that you'd change peter you know they did change a lot uh (laughs) from the production um i you know i'll just go ahead and throw in this little i I played arab but um and i was the guy at the beginning who the sharks attack and drill a hole in his ear um whereas in this movie it's baby john where that happens too and that makes more sense because baby john is the one who seems like so much traumatized throughout the rest of the movie yes. like he's he's really going through something so why I, I don't know why it wasn't like that at the beginning so i, I feel like that was the right move um but okay if i were to change one thing myself I mean, it's all pretty solid, but I mean, I think I'll I'll say the obvious thing and the, something which I know the remake is going to do their best to rectify, like maybe cast actual uh, uh, Puerto Ricans as the Puerto Rican characters. Yeah. Maybe just leave it at that. So uh, it yeah, would I mean, be good. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and knock the movie for doing what they did 60 years ago. It was a different time, and uh, you know, it 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 was a different time, but. Uh, but yeah, the fact that they're remaking it and rectifying that, I think, is a good thing. So yeah, we'll just leave it at that, I guess. So. Yeah. Dustin, what about you? Uh, there are a couple things, but I, I think the movie is solid, and, and there's not a lot I would change. Um, I'll go with a cheeky answer first, which is just remove G. Officer Krupke from the movie and the production. It's a bad song. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> my least, it's my least. Right. I wrote this down uh, while I was watching it. I was doing it paper-pencil style, and I said, this is the worst song I've ever heard in any musical in my entire life. 
<laughs> it does feel very out of place. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah very out of place because most of the songs weird. are good and this one's bad. Uh, which is <laughs> which is why it's out of place. No, but e- even if it wasn't, the subject matter of the uh, of the song is uh, it, I I tend to be uh, very uh, involved socially, especially when it comes to handling uh, juveniles and incarcerated youth. Um, and I'm going to make this my full answer now. I had other stuff. This is my full answer now. I I don't like the song, and I also don't like the subject matter at poking fun at what the issue is with uh, handling kids, uh, especially uh, delinquents, uh, is. Uh, part of a past life, past career of mine, and it's something that uh, I, I, I could do without. Um, and it doesn't help that the song is bad. So th- uh, there we go. That's that's my one thing. We <laughs> oh, I don't like it, man. <laughs> I want to defend this song because it's Leonard Bernstein and it's aw- and like it should be awesome. I don't think it's the best song. In the, in, 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 You'd in be the right, yeah, because any, it's the worst. By any stretch of the word. Um, but I'm, I am going to give another example of this song not necessarily being great in uh, plugging another random CD that I've had of French Horn. We are in Nathan's French is... Horn Corner. Welcome back, everybody. <laughs> this is Nathan's French yes. Horn Corner again. This, in this case, this is the opposite of what happened last time, where the film version is much better than what was done here, in which the this CD of operatic arrangements by the berlin philharmonic horns let's say ill-advised ending track in which they did officer krupke but replaced the words with themselves singing about themselves as berlin french horn players and things that they do and um it comes after the outtakes which is good because it basically as a whole song is an outtake and i will leave it at that the rest of that cd awesome beautiful that song uh, let's well, especially that. as your ending number it seems so strange <laughs> uh yeah I, th- I i don't know i think they were hoping that people would stop listening to it after the outtakes or sometime during you know the what I, I think you've made my point for me if you decide to put a song in a place where people will likely have decided not to listen to it it's probably your worst song <laughs> yeah yeah so for my change one thing i am also going to pick apart something in a song uh in this case it is the song i want to be in america I hear you, yeah. which much as i think this is a really fun song to play in the brass quintet version and in purely orchestrated versions i think that between the sort of tone of the wording of the song and also the tone of the orchestration and the voicing of especially the the women singing in it gives an impression that i don't really like being in this musical and i do hope is maybe addressed a little bit in the modern retelling of it that i really think it sounds a little bit shrill as they're singing and painful in a way which i think does not do any favors to the actors who are actually involving in it after that, let's move over to the best quote. Peter, what is your favorite quote from this movie? This moment feel I mean, it feels like a small moment, but it always really touched me when I was doing the show and does it just so much, just as much when I watch the movie. And that is after anybody's has finally proved herself uh, and Okay, it was ice. Yeah, he calls out to her and says, uh, "You did good, buddy boy." And she says, "Thanks, Daddy O." That's uh, that's just a really great, you know, nice sort of wrap up for that character. Who's you know, kind of in the 
periphery throughout most of the movie but then really serves a crucial role later on and it's uh yeah it's a great moment so if if nothing if, if there wasn't an additional if there wasn't a death at the end of the movie like what would you think like these gang like kind of keeps going on that ice would be the leader now and ice kind of accepts anybody's uh i i loved that as well uh, my quote is from doc and uh, it wasn't the uh, there were there were so many good ones from him almost like one-liners but the one i liked best was uh it was after after one of the the fights i assume where he just says couldn't you just played basketball <laughs> like all this violence all this all this rough and tumble action and couldn't couldn't this just have been taken care of the way that kids used to take care of stuff but yeah that's my quote that's definitely a great moment of oh man i wish things could be fixed in a way in a way that made more sense you know i'm gonna sort of cheat here and double down on an earlier choice so from the song maria the word is mostly just maria 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 and i just gotta call out the awesome cadence that this song ends into where the whole song is this wonderful one augmented four and then up into five with how the how, how the chords and cadences are working and at the very end it just gets this incredible incredible cadence up into the the last note of maria i think i missed the notes completely there but um it, it it's hard to hear it's hard to sing and it's just it's amazingly beautiful and pristine. That is my best quote. Uh, I, I love that as well. Well, this has been a really fun review to have you on, Peter. Thanks for joining us. Do you want to uh, just recapitulate a little bit on your podcast? Certainly, yeah. Retro Reviews, it's it's out there. We do it every week. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we do um, movies from 1980 up until 10 years ago. You can find us on Instagram at Retro Reviews Pod, uh, all one word. Uh, and um, you can find us on Facebook at Retro Reviews, although I don't think we do much on Facebook now. It's a, really the best way to follow us is on Instagram. But um, but yeah, you can get us anywhere you find our podcasts. It's me and Ray. Uh, if you're a fan of, um, I assume if you're listening, you're a fan of this show. So yeah, if you want to go back and listen to the Singing in the Rain episode, that's where uh, you can he, hear my he partner. He was on for that show. Uh, that would be Ray. And uh, yeah, Ray and I, we um, it's usually just the two of us. And uh, every now and then we bring on a guest and it'd be becomes a trio but uh yeah it's uh something we have a lot of fun doing so yeah it'll definitely go check out retro reviews and it'll be a great time now let's take a look at how we all rate this film from zero to five stars in increments of half stars peter how do you rate this movie boy this is a movie where you know my opinion has just gone up and up ever since the first time i saw it it's you know it, it is just only I've only continued to appreciate it more after finding it just kind of like whatever the first time I saw it, um, just finding it to be hokey, outdated, not really liking the music. And today the music resonates so well. I have such a much greater appreciation of musicals in general, so that certainly helps. But um, uh, yeah, the movie just continues to work. It's just so visually pleasing. So The music is just so uh so pleasing to the ear the performances are so heartfelt um it's a real classic classic big experience 
And I am just going to go for it. I'm going to say five stars. I'm going to say I'm, I agree with Michael awesome. Bay. Um, as far as this movie goes, I think it is uh, right. I'm, I'm a big fan of it as well. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I, I, I keep a top 100 of all times movie list. I'm thinking of adding this to it. It's, it's, that's how much my appreciation has gotten to it. So, yeah, there you go. Five stars for it. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely deserving of a spot in that list. Dustin, does it have a spot in your list? Well, this is certainly a five-star musical. Um, I can't think of anything about it, really, uh, that takes away too much from my experience. Um, it's the social commentary between race and uh, social standing and the, uh, we'll call it the, the, the blue line between uh, uh, the, the, the law enforcement and the kids uh, a little heavy-handed, but important. It was it was for the audience at the time. Uh, movie is sixty years old, and I would listen to or watch it anytime, anywhere. Um, I hate G. Officer Krupke, and even still, we're gonna go with four and a half stars on this movie. As far as musicals go, it's a five star, but for the purposes of this, it is a four point five star movie for me. Also, a very strong recommendation for this film. And, you know, I've been vacillating about whether I would go with four and a half or five stars for this. But you know what, Peter? You've given me the courage. It's joining my five stars. That's so great to hear. I love that. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Nicely done. (laughs) That's a good rated movie. That makes me very happy. I'm glad to hear that. That's great. Right. (laughs) Well, Thanks once again, Peter, so much for joining us. It's always great to have you, and we look forward to having you in the future again. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, I, I look forward to coming back, for sure. This is really fun. I'm, I, I always um, I relish in every opportunity to talk about a movie that's older than 1980, so I'm uh, happy to be here <laughs> for it. So. And for the ones that are newer, check out the Retro Review Podcast. And for all of you out there, remember, all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, we invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at at movie underscore retro or email us at retro movie roundtable at yahoo.com producing and providing this podcast is fun but not free we invite you to support the show at our patreon page at www.patreon.com slash retro movie roundtable any contribution is much appreciated and will go towards making the show better for you the listeners as always thank you for listening be good to each other and watch more movies dustin everybody starts out as strangers ted it's where we end up that counts